Well, we did it. Another year has come and gone. It is officially 2023. You know, for me, I've never really had like this whole, the next year is going to be different, is going to be great, is going to change everything. I've always been under the same understanding that, you know what, the dial turns over, the odometer turns to the next number. It's just another number. It doesn't really mean much to me, at least, uh, you know, most, uh, any type of new year's resolution or anything like that kind of almost always falls by the wayside and it just kind of ends up being, Oh, what do they call it? A nothing burger. Like, you know, the gyms are packed until the end of February and then everything kind of just starts over and is the way it is. Yeah. I'm sure that some people really take to the gym and really take to, you know, exercise, eat right, or whatever their New Year's resolutions are. So I'm not trying to discredit anyone that would go out there and maybe really nail it, really get it going, uh, and then stick with it. I think that that it's great. You know, what? even if a small percentage of people do, I think it, I think it's good. So it is actually January seventh, twenty twenty three, and this is the first episode of twenty twenty three for the Brew House. I get into like talking about the main thing I wanted to talk about in this. One of the things I always think about as the new year rolls over is the biggest thing in my, while I was growing up was the, the, the switch to year 2000, the 1999 to 2000 switch. And you know what a big, it seemed like nothing. We, you know, we were told to shut our computers off. We were told to monitor TV, like TV was going to go off air. I mean, it was a, it was a big deal in the year 2000. I would have been 17 years old in my junior slash senior year. Um, and, and, and it really just turned out to be nothing, but I think there's a reason behind that. I think that the reason that the 1999 to 2000 switch worked or happened like it did it was pretty simple, actually. I think that it was because of the millions and millions and millions of dollars that was spent getting all of the systems up to date. See, from my understanding of it, and like I said, I was in the hog business at the time. So, and I was into computers, but I was focused on my hog job and graduating um, high school. So, from my understanding, is COBOL was invented in the fifties. And COBOL is like a very verbose programming languages that language. They would use it on AS400s and mainframes and such, things that are kind of like database related. So the what happened is, is that bits memory was very, very expensive. And so to have the extra 1.9 in front of the year caused basically the the uh, unneeded memory because it's 1956. I don't have to worry about the year 2000. So those two bits were omitted. And certainly across all of the identifications and everything that that was being held, it probably added up. But come the year 2000, I think the alarm bells kind of started getting sounded in like 1998, I believe. Um, I think the Clinton administration at the time was very like, we have to do something about this. There's going to be a problem. And that's kind of when government agencies and all of that went whole hog on trying to figure out what's going on. But for the most part, the systems that were affected by it were absolutely fine. But I do want to cover some funny ones that I, that happened. Uh, there's a place in uh, Colonial, New York. The place is called Super Video. And uh, the, the man rented the general's daughter. 
So that's a hit John Travolta film. And uh, when he came back to the store to uh, turn it back over, he owed $91,250, and the film was 100 years overdue. Uh, no word if he got fined for not rewinding the tape. I am uh, unclear about that. <laughs> but actually, uh, they, they zeroed it out, and the guy actually gave him a free rental. Um, another one, or one, one big one that happened was Quicken, the personal finance software that would have not been online at the time. It um, caused people's portfolios to be dramatically inflated to the size of Warren Buffett. So, you know, for a few people, they were millionaires until they updated the software. Microsoft uh, Internet Explorer, for whatever reason, some of the web pages that you went to displayed the year 3900. And if uh, you were using Hotmail, I think if you clicked the link in Hotmail, it would display the link and it would be the year 3900. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I think the I think the one big thing that's kind of underreported but really did happen a lot was all of the things that got purchased, generators and and shovels and extra food and all of this. People were attempting to return it all. Sears actually implemented a 20% restocking fee uh, if you were going to return a generator. <laughs> so, you know, it, it could have been really bad. The whole, the whole Y2K thing could have been bad. And I think because of the work of some smart techs, smart programmers, even smart government, they were able to kind of make it not happen. And I think that that's, that's lost on the people. People look at it as the big nothing burger, but in, in, but in all reality, it wasn't a nothing burger. It was a big thing that became small because people all came together to fix the problem. Okay, now on to what I want to talk about in this actual episode. And as usual, I don't have a ton of things to say about it, but, I, and it's not really tech related. The thing is, is that, uh, when I was on vacation, somebody had tweeted about um, basically for solo entrepreneurs, if you uh, to make mistakes, you should never stop iterating. You got to go fast, be wrong, fix it, and repeat it. And I've been an entrepreneur for a lot of years. Um, I've owned my own company f- since 2006, uh, and before that, I, I owned smaller consulting companies that you know kind of were. I fixed computers, and I needed a way to keep the taxes separate from my personal taxes, that kind of thing. One of my favorite uh, podcasters, and I'm not going to name him because I don't want to start any fights. Not that my listening audience is big enough to, to, to even touch his or to, to actually connect with his, but he brought up this thing of privileged and, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to kind of summarize what he said. Basically he told this guy that you're privileged if you can be wrong. And make mistakes. Basically, the idea that in your business, if you make a mistake, you're going to go out of business. And, you know, that probably is true for some people, but it but it opened the door to this other conversation that started to happen on the side. And I actually responded to him as well. <clears throat> but it turns out that, you know, I think his audience is a little different than me. I, I Like I say, I've been an entrepreneur for a lot of years and I've had a lot of failures in my businesses. I've you know, made a wrong decision that's either costed money or cost that business. It, sometimes things do happen, but but the idea that it's some kind of privilege to be able to work a full-time job and then at night or weekends or in your free time, instead of having hobbies, you you, you start to work 
on this side business until the side business becomes strong enough, big enough that it can float on its own. I don't look at that as a privilege. I look at that as it's what you're willing to put your time into. I don't look at being able to have a full-time job and then be able to code as a privilege. In fact, uh, I think a lot of entrepreneurs out there would say, well, it sure would have been a lot easier if I just hadn't have done that and stuck with my full-time job. But I knew that this isn't what I wanted to do forever. I wanted to have the freedom to do what I want and to do what makes me happy. That's not a privilege. That's, that's what you get for hard work. And unfortunately, it appears that there's a large group of people that, that think that this is something I, I don't even, I, it's hard for me to even articulate somebody thinking that having a full-time job and then coming home, having supper with my wife and then coding until two o'clock in the morning is some kind of privilege is some kind of thing that sets me apart from somebody else. I'm under the understanding that anyone out there can be an entrepreneur. Anyone out there with a good idea um, that solves a problem can be successful in this world. And I feel bad for anyone out there that thinks otherwise or thinks that there's a roadblock in their way that prevents them from doing this. There was plenty of people while I was starting out that said, well, you know, John, someday you're going to have to get a real job or someday, you know, what your your idea will never work. I don't understand how you're making money at this. But that wasn't my job to explain that to them. That wasn't my job to believe what they had to say. It was my job to go to work, do the best I can, come home and work on the product that I was excited about, that I wanted to to present to the world. We really had a we really had a problem we wanted that we saw and we wanted to solve. And I can tell you what it is. It was it's telephone conferencing. Back in 2006, telephone conferencing was huge, but the problem was is the bridges out there, the, the actual server equipment that was required to run these conference bridges, they had DSPs and they had um, very expensive hardware inside of them that maybe they only worked with TDMs, so they only had PRI circuits. Well, PRIs were very expensive and you get 23 circuits per PRI, assuming one um, master channel. I mean, it's uh, like it, they were very expensive. And so me and my business partners, we saw a way that we could scale these bridges to huge amounts of traffic. There were things like you couldn't add. So when you called the phone number, it would say, welcome to the conference call. Please enter your conference code followed by the pound sign. In order to add that audio to a particular telephone number, you had to reboot the conference bridge. So everyone that was talking on the conference bridge would lose, would, would, would get hung up on. So my friends and I, we saw an opportunity to offer real-time conferencing that is voice over IP based or TDM based. We had a TDM solution as well that could scale to hundreds of thousands of callers and we could do it without DSPs, we could, without any type of particular hardware, even Asterisk required um, the, the a pseudo driver for Meet Me in order to mix the audio together. Well, the Linux kernel has the ability to do mixing without any hardware or to do, to do timing without any hardware. And we were able to do that. And we found the problem and we solved it. But, it, but I wasn't spending my work day doing that. I would come home, work on the, the GUI. I'd come home, I'd work on the conferencing module. I'd, and, and all together, the product came to be and then we needed to we needed to release it. So we we found some people that were interested in testing the module that had some conferences, 
And they used it and we gave them access to the web interface and everything else. And they loved the product. They thought it was awesome. They didn't have to reboot. They could change things on the fly. There was a really great GUI control. They could get caller ID names. Like one of the things that the bridges out there didn't do in 2006 was give you a caller ID name when you called in. Like they couldn't see it on the web interface. It allowed you to raise hands. So if you had a question in a, in a presentation type conference, you could click the hand and it would unmute the person and let them ask their question. All we did was go out there and find a problem that needed that needed a solution and made the solution. That wasn't a privilege. That the the only privilege I got out of that was was giving people a product that they wanted. When you see an entrepreneur out there or somebody who's successful, you don't see their downfalls. You don't see them failing. You don't see them sitting up at night with a problem in front of them that they don't know the answer to. You only get to see the, the entrepreneur or the success of the person after it's already happened. You don't get to see when they had to pivot. None of that's a privilege, but it is part of running a business. It is part of being successful. Nobody out there just went to work one day, quit, started a business, and just never had to change any part of the business, never had to make a difficult decision, and, and just was successful. That, that's, not, that's not how it works, at least in my experience. I mean, if you guys know anybody out there that quit their job one day, started a successful business and never had to make a difficult decision, I would love to meet them and know how they did it because I think that that should be replicated because making difficult decisions in businesses is the worst thing to do. I hate it. I hate that more than anything. I always joke that I never wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I want. I wanted to create something awesome. And apparently those two a lot of times go hand in hand. So to the people out there that are listening to this show, that think it requires something special to be able to start a business, to be able to pivot, to be able to make a change. It doesn't. It, there, I'm not a special person because I'm an entrepreneur. Not at all. I'm, I am about as average a person as is out there. I spend a lot of time listening, thinking, and thinking to myself, could I make something better? Could I solve this problem. And that's, that's where I get my excitement is, is like, Oh, I know how to fix that. All right. I can solve that problem. I can write a bash script and the, in a couple of minutes and that problem's fixed, but it's not a privilege. Like I had to work hard to understand how to write code. I didn't go to college to write code. I didn't go to college to fix computers. It, well, none of that was a privilege. It just was, I was interested in computers. And so I made it my hobby. I made it my passion and I made it after work, I'd come home and I'd do it. No matter what the job was. When I worked on the hog farm, I would come home and work on computers. I my One of my first businesses was a, an illegal downloading from Napster and making CDs for kids in my high school. Like That was probably my foray in the business. It wasn't that I had a, some kind of special talent. I had a CD burner, CDs, and an internet connection. Okay, maybe that was a privilege and some people can't get an internet connection. Okay, I'll give you that. But if I wanted to make the business work, I would have figured out how to do it. And there are plenty of people that bought CDs from me that didn't have an internet connection. I don't, I, I, you know, I, I still enjoy this podcaster. I'm going to listen to all of his podcasts. He tells great stories. But uh, I think for me to try to invoke the word privilege when it has to do with investing your time into something, because a lot of these businesses 
They don't require money. My first my first business, the one I started in 2006, the conferencing business, started off with the server I found in a dumpster. And maybe we had $400 to scratch together for uh, a co-location fee for one or two months. I mean, we didn't we had a timeline to finish this. It wasn't like we had some type of funding or anything like that. It was a server that we found in a dumpster uh, with, and it happened to have a TDM card in it and one month's colo fees for, I think, one T1. So I want to make sure that the word gets out that if you have a dream, if you have a passion and it solves a problem, it's okay to try. It's okay to be wrong and it's okay to fail. It's okay to pivot. None of that's a privilege. It's all hard. Anyone can do it. If I can do it, especially anyone can do it. So with that, I'm going to leave it there for today. Let's have a great 2023 and I'll see you next time on the brew house. Mm-hmm.